Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwanga. Are you Musa Kwanga or are you deluded Musa Kwanga? <laughs> My new... I've been accused by Jason McAteer of being sports, formerly of Bolton Wanderers, Republic of Ireland and Liverpool, of being delusional um, because I critiqued him for saying that Paul Pogba was to blame for a loss in a game which he wasn't even the same country as. I am not deluded, Ryan Hun. Yes, but therefore not. I don't have enough Twitter followers to be deluded. Of course, according are you deluded? To how are you today, Ryan? Are you deluded? I'm so deluded, man. I just come back from the dentist, so I'm a bit. My mouth feels funny. Just to explain that little riff I had there. Um, oh, do we have to talk about this, dude? No, just very quickly. So, um, Manchester United lost two 0 to Burnley at Old Trafford, which was worryingly unsurprising. And after the game, there was a short segment on BN Sports in which Mr. McAteer put the blame at the door of Paul Pogba, and I was like, there are so many things wrong with how. Pogba's career is on at United, but this problem's not on him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. That, that's really that. Um, so I said that on Twitter and he didn't like it. But yeah, we move forward. United lost 2-0 to Burnley at Old Trafford. It was not a surprise. And this is just going to be the pattern of things. I don't know how much we get into this, to be honest, because, well, I think it's relevant in the sense that thousands of United fans hit the exit long before the final whistle. Thousands of United fans hit us up with questions about this. Yeah. I think so we should we go straight this. into questions? Should we, should we stagger questions throughout? Let's do it. We, Let's I do mean, it. it's mainly Premier League stuff. There is something I want to talk about from the Netherlands. But... And there's something I want to talk about from the Copa del Rey, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. I didn't quickly. really catch much Copa del Rey this week. Oh, it was interesting. It was intriguing. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's start with this one from Richard Bajoria. In the long arch of history, will the first seven years of Glazer ownership be seen as a blip caused by the genius of Ferguson and the current malaise, the logical conclusion of an ownership that views the football club as an advertising agency through which to extract dividends? I mean, short answer is United had a chance to maintain a historic advantage over the rest of football. And hubris is what made them screw themselves. And it goes back to Sir Alex Ferguson's dispute with the Irish owners of the club over the ownership of Rock of Gibraltar, to which he was not entitled. They Which fell is out a over horse, that. by the they, way. A horse, sorry. They fell out over the horse. It's, it sounds wild. They fell out over a racehorse. The owners basically sold the club because they didn't want to fall out with Ferguson because he wants to fall out with the club legend. The club was sold to the Glazers and the Glazers came in and Ferguson basically vouched for them. And because he's a genius, he kept the club afloat and their true nature was not really seen until he was gone. And their basically, their goal was just to extract capital from the club um, and uh, or dividends from the club. And they're brilliant at that form of business. They've done really well at that. And United was a perfect club to do it from. The problem is, and here's the thing about the Glazers, uh, they have provided money. They provide a lot of money, actually. £600 million, that squad. But the strange thing about them is, like, you're brilliant business people. Does it not make sense to just say, okay, well, we're brilliant business people. We're good at, like, getting these dividends out. We're great at advertising and all the rest of it. Why don't we just ask around really smart people and say, who's the best sporting director Who's the best manager? Just get them and let them run it. I mean, I don't understand. That's what I don't get about United. I wrote a tweet about this after the Does game. That makes sense. I just don't yeah, hundred percent. And I just I said um, a, a club that with the history, size, stature, turnover, wage bill that Manchester United have should be a club that is always feared, always, no matter how poor a season they're having, no matter where their position is in the league, because you can lose football matches. You right. know, Manchester United could lose at any time at home to Burnley. I mean, they haven't for many, many years before um, this week. But, you know, we've seen Barcelona drop silly points at home at their peak, but they're still feared. They were always feared. And I think that the thing that would is so alarming for Manchester United now 
is that anyone going to Old Trafford, even if they haven't won the league since, what, 2012? Was yeah. last time? 13, yeah. 13, sorry. There should be an element of fear there. You know, we're going to Old Trafford. It's just not there anymore. It's, it's not, not there. It's No one is phased. No one's phased by it. And that isn't Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's fault. No. It's not particularly any individual player's fault. It's definitely not Paul Pogba's fault. No. It's an overall culture at the football club, which has been eroding over time. And I don't think any team in the Premier League would fear going to Old Trafford now. And it was never like that. No. Never. Even when Arsenal were at their very, very peak, the peak kind of Manchester United-Arsenal rivalry, the worst fixture of the year for me as an Arsenal fan was the Old Trafford game. I used to wake up on the morning of it feeling physically sick because I was so nervous about it and terrified. That's just not there. Even though Arsenal haven't really won at Old Trafford for ages in the league, there was just a weird, not there when, when the Burnley players walked off at the end of the game and the ground was almost empty, I remember thinking, they look really, really happy but they don't look euphoric. They look like, we've won, but it's like, oh, this isn't a big deal. We're like tourists coming to Rome, coming to ancient Rome as opposed to Rome at its peak. But they had that result, um, was it the draw last season when they were 2-0 up? Yeah. And then they drew. So it was kind of one that got away and then they've been, they've been expecting it really. But in a way, I kind of feel like this is just useless talking about Manchester United now like this because everyone knows what the problem we is. We know the problem is, yeah. But there's an arrogance there at the football club, which no matter how good they were, one of the most ruthless Manchester United seasons I can remember, for example, was the season after they won the treble because you knew Ferguson was expecting them to, to take the off. foot off the gas. Yeah. And obviously they, didn't, they couldn't replicate that treble winning season, but there was never any drop off. No. But for example, you still have Rio Ferdinand talking about how things, you know... Erling Haaland, uh, United let him go to Dortmund. Because, and how that's somehow admirable that um, they, the the reason that United spun was that they weren't going to do business with super agents. And Mino Raiola is a guy that they've done business with on four or five players in the last four years. And almost all of them bombed. Assuming that Manchester United let Haaland go to Dortmund. I mean, personally, I said this on, um, I think it was Football Weekly when I was on there. You know, if I was Erling Braut Haaland, and that had happened to my dad. I wouldn't want to go to Manchester United. Really? And I, it, 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 yeah. Regardless of what's going on at the football club that's now. That's true, that's true. You know, people underestimate the personal, personal reasons, you know, and Dortmund is an amazing football club. And this is something that I think is tied up in a lot of what is going on at Manchester United at the moment. It's almost this arrogance that the classic, it's Manchester United. Yeah, but what does that mean exactly? It doesn't anyway. mean anything. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. Do you know what's weird? I have equal support for the fans who walked out before the final whistle and for the fans that stayed because the fans that stayed were like, we want to try and get you back in the game. But the fans that walked out, it was like, it's equal respect for those who made the protest and those who remained because it's so... Um, and also, if you're trying to get out of Old Trafford on a Wednesday night... My goodness, good luck to you. But also one other thing as well, just to add to that, I know it's a bit long answer to this question, but I want to just say, the people I feel sorry for most of all are the young players who need those vital two years of development in their like late teens, early 20s, and who aren't getting it. And, you know, people like Martial, who's been criticised before, but Martial, fundamentally, if he'd had the development he deserved, his talent deserved, he'd be an elite forward now in Europe and he'll never reach the level he should now. The coaches that he's played under at Manchester United, Louis van Gaal was the best one for him. Yes. Well, van Gaal was, well, actually, (laughs) we can get into that, but van Gaal was the best coach for a lot of those players. Yeah. Actually. Anyway, next, next up. I mean, we've kind of answered why. There was one from Seamus saying, when do you think players will look at Manchester United and think, no, I'm not going there. I think they've already done it. It's already happening. Look who's been coming yeah. and who hasn't been coming. Yeah, it's already happening. Very f- he said very few players have improved there like they have at Liverpool. But this is the thing about Liverpool and this is where, you know, McAteer was correct in terms of using the example of players to set an example. But they're, they're quoting people who have been around the block for years. Also, I'm not being funny, but like, let's be 
brutally honest. When have players led a club when the manager was vastly substandard? When has that ever really... Yeah, I mean, it's never happened. It's never, it's never happened, happened. Because it can't happen. Why? Because you're not good enough. As a player in the modern era, you are simply not good enough to devise complex attacking systems when you're being outcoached by the teams. You can't do it. You're not good enough. Yeah. Van Hal couldn't do it. When Van Hal's players weren't suitably up to scratch, weren't up to scratch all his methods, they failed because it's really hard to break down elite teams. Mm -hmm. And the teams now in the Premier League are beautifully coached. You look at Crystal Palace, they take a draw off Man City. Like you've got, these are great coaches. And if you arrive, it doesn't matter. You can put all the passion you like into the game. Yeah. I mean, when you've got Pep Guardiola coming out and talking about admiration for Chris Wilder, a guy who came up from the championship this year, this is how deep the coaching goes. And we've said this a million times. You can't half step. Look at McAteer's team. McAteer's team had peak Steve McManaman Mm. and they couldn't win anything because they had Roy Evans and Roy Evans, don't get me wrong, I'm not disrespecting Roy Evans, but he was not of the level of Ferguson. And that is with, you know, we look at Fowler and these players, these amazing players. What did they win? They didn't win because you can't do it. You need air support. You need the, um, the the club, the organisation be run well from the top. Otherwise you, you, you can be, you can be Mbappe, you can be Neymar and you won't do it. Yeah. So there we go. Let's move on to maybe an example of not quite on the opposite end of the spectrum, but Arsenal got a point at Stamford Bridge on yes. Tuesday in a game where they would not have under the previous coach yeah. and probably under late era Wenger as well. To yes. Be honest, yeah, that's right. Considering the context. So obviously David Luiz got sent off really early. Chelsea went 1-0 up. Arsenal had two shots in the whole game, both on target and both ended up goals. But we had a question about well, th- first of all, thanks to everyone who kept um, tweeting us about Arteta's roll neck. There was unbelievable roll neck cardigan chat this week. The roll neck engagement. Have we found our niche? Off the scale. I think we have. I think the <laughs> You're wearing neck- a new one today, right? I am wearing a new roll neck. It's a, it's a sort of a mustard colour roll neck today. I'm it's wearing a, mustard- a hoodie today. Is it, is it mustard, would you say? Or caramel? Caramel roll neck? A very, cam- a very dark mustard. It is a dark mustard roll neck. It, it's absolutely, it's sensational. Well, I mean, can you, are you allowed can to pick can, up your own can, roll can, neck? Can, can, can you actually edit out the bit where you start criticising? Just, just leave. All right, yeah, okay. Yes. Well, we've got the, you know, for balance. <laughs> got him on both sides, Musa. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to get the cardigan argument in there. The alt cardigan. I wonder if, yeah, we're going to end up on some kind of like political left wing list. Exactly. <laughs> Watch list. Cardigans versus roll necks is a, an anti-terrorism thing. An that anti- sounds like a sort of Shakespearean play, like <laughs> Caplets and Montagues. Yeah. Sorry, Colin. Um, so, uh, one from Satya Panigrahi. Hey guys, love the new podcast. Thank you very much. Just bought a new turtleneck. I guess my question to you is what do you think about Mikel Arteta as an Arsenal manager so far? I'm very impressed. Yeah, I am. Very impressed. Seems to have a clear idea of who he wants to work with, how he wants to work with them. Um, Has given the team a resilience, has protected his players, doesn't come out and hammer people in public. There's always a reason, there's a point to what he says. It's early days for him, but I'm very impressed. One thing as well to say, a bit of sympathy for Mustafi because wrote this very heartfelt piece on the Arsenal website. And then got slated the and next game. That makes this horrifying yeah. mistake. It was really painful for him because that he put his team under no pressure and then he must have been thinking, this is horrifying. Like after, like, you know, it's really brave to come out and do what he did. And it's a bit similar to what Gomez did when he said he was struggling at Barcelona under Gomez. Makes this horrifying mistake, this back pass that puts not only his team a goal down but gets Luis sent off because yeah. Luis Luis actually is very well to prevent a goal there yeah I, I mean thought, I mean it just he was basically like I think you just let him shoot to be honest yeah personally yeah. that's what I would have 
well, I mean, I'm not a professional defender. Yeah, that's the thing. So. You, can't, you can't afford to let Tammy Abraham shoot though, can you? I think the, the problem that Arsenal had in that scenario was they had two very emotionally charged centre-backs. So you could tell Mustafi was nervous. Yeah. And I think that this is um, something that, I mean, we spoke about the human element of football a number of times this season, but I think this is a really tough one because you had a guy who came out, said what he said about the criticism he receives online. So he's obviously aware of it. Yeah. And that means he's thinking about it. Yes. Which means it's going to affect performance. He had and a great second half, though, in his defence. And I think he and Granite Xhaka played really well at centre back as well so in the second also, half. Also, let's shout out as well because you know it's not that Mustafi can't come back from this because Lovren came back from it and Lovren took. Oh my gosh! I mean, no, it is, and Mustafi's been through it. So I'm not, I'm not trying to sort of do that down. Lovren's suffering is a real sign that you can come through with the right system. So good luck to him. You know, I think that they got the point, and that's great because what they'll take from that is look how much we went through and we still extracted a point, and also. <laughs> Are we really talking about N'Golo Kante falling over the halfway line? Trying to that swipe is, Martinelli with his arm. This is a collector's item. Yeah. That, you know, N'Golo the great Kante, thing about, sorry to butt in, sorry, but the yeah. great thing about that goal was that the first two touches were terrible. Yes. <laughs> and then Kante bails on the whole thing and then Martinelli's through. But the composure to run unobstructed yeah. straight towards goal from the halfway line, that's a lot of time to think. Yeah, it's a lot. And the way that he finished it, and kept so calling the celebrations. Well, I think that kid is going to be very special, unbelievable. And also, I got more emotional over Hector Bellerin's equaliser than I think I've got for an Arsenal goal for a long, long, long time. I, t- I tweeted about it. I just, I can't, I can't find the words that do justice to just how much I love that guy. Can I be honest? With a bit of crossover here. I think he belongs on the First Aid Kit podcast. <laughs> for those of you who don't listen, <laughs> one of the great podcasts. Um, in history. We should, history. we should, right. When you came in on Monday, when we were doing Monday's one, you were listening to it and you came in crying, laughing. And I, was, so and I was really worried about you. I was like, what's up? And you were like, I was just listening to Thursday Kit. So, so Thursday Kit is an amazing podcast. You can find it everywhere, basically. I think it's on Slate's platform, but it's doing really well. And it's so funny. Bim Adwamni and her co-host, Nicole, the whiskey woman on Twitter. It's so funny. And they basically, it's really sort of wholesome, lusting over, well, not so wholesome, lusting after public <laughs> figures. Well, basically, it's, it's not so wholesome lusting after public figures who are very wholesome themselves. Yeah. So I was listening to the Joshua Jackson episode, who is Pacey Witter from Dawson's Creek, a show for the older crowd that listen to us will know very well. He was also in, um, oh, The Affair. The Affair. So yeah, check it out. It's great. And uh, Hector Bellerin would be a prime candidate for the Thursday kit oh, because Lord. he's just a, a good dude, a great footballer, a great leader, and a great seems to have great being. values, yeah. 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 Um, quickly rounding up, uh, Bournemouth are displaying signs of becoming a catfish once more because they beat Brighton 3-1. Are they a catfish though if they're recovering? A recovering catfish? No, but if they're playing well, like I don't think Everton will be a catfish this year. Well, it's hard. I think we need to reevaluate our definition of a catfish. Because Calvert, it's kind Lewin, of like, Calvert-Lewin is Calvert-Lewin balling is out. Moise Kane got his first goal. You know, Calvert has become Richarlison. He's body snatched Richarlison. Well, quickly before we get into that, because we've got a few questions on let's Everton. Do it, let's do it, let's do it. Palace lost 2-0 at home to Southampton, who are now above us. Nathan table. Redmond, he gave him a shout. Look at him. Nathan Redmond listens to the Stadio podcast. He, he must it. do, because otherwise, how can you explain such a strike just two days after we were talking about him on the podcast? <laughs> he was basically, he was on a different level. He was brilliant. The both yeah. goals were great. Yeah. Armstrong's goal was brilliant. Superb, and um, yeah. some... Top level James War Prowse shithousery. Oh, we're talking to uh, Zaha. Hmm, interesting. Ward Prowse, just a good player. Posh boy with the chin beard. <laughs> going up against one of South London's finest. Never trust him. Never trust him. 
<laughs> very good indeed. Very good indeed. Carl uh, Anker was coming out with some great trash talk Twitter about James Ward Prowse uh, not even being rent free in. <laughs> head. He went full Joel Embiid on the whole thing. He did some very good. Uh, Carl's doing some great work, actually. If you check out Carl Anker, I think he's Anchorman616 on Twitter. He's done covering Southampton for the Athletic, doing a great job there. Sheffield United were unlucky at home to City, but they lost 1 0. I mean, that's what happens when you've got De Bruyne and Aguero. Oh my God, the combination for that goal is so timeless. They'll be doing De, that. De Bruyne's pass was. They'll be doing that. You know, they'll be, they'll be doing one twos to each other, like in the old people's home. They will be. When they're sitting in rocking chairs, they'll be passing each other like. I'll be like, yep, De Bruyne to Aguero. Um, it's like, do you remember that amazing advert between uh, Pirlo and uh, Stefan Lichtsteiner? No, never saw it. When it was basically, they were filming a day of them hanging out in, in Turin, like at the training ground and stuff. And it was Stefan Lichtsteiner was basically like, oh, you know, they're eating lunch. He's like, Andrea, can you uh, pass me the salt, please? And he's just like, yeah, sure. And he gives it to him. And he oh, goes, grazie. And he's like, prego. And the pepper, he like gives it again. He's like, grazie, prego. And the parmesan, he's like, and this goes on for ages. They're in the car park. Lichtenstein's like, oh, my keys. Oh, Andre, you got my keys. And he chucks it to him. Oh, it's brilliant. And then he taps his chin like really cheesily and it flashes to all of these times where Palo's hit that clipped pass oh, from the yes. centre of the park to, the to Lichtsteiner, position. who either volleys in or heads in. It's a terribly acted advert, but it's, but it's really, really it's brilliant. Really, it's really, but it's that, those combinations of football are so interesting. What was funny is with City, it was almost like against Sheffield United they had to get like big brother in to sort out the mess yeah. because Gabriel Hayes just missed the penalty and it was nil nil. And then like, they're like, okay, you know what? Sending the reinforcements and De Bruyne to Aguero and he scores like a tap in from four yards, which is basically what Hayes was hired to do. Um, I think, I think Hayes is still having a bit of trouble with the kind of, um, we're stepping up to that role. Yeah, I agree. But yeah. But um, you- let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and do the rest of the games and questions. Sure. All right, we're back from the break. Before we move on, I've got a text from my dad to read out. Oh, how adorable. Go for it. Go for Hi, it. Dad. Hi, Dad. Hope are listening to this one. He listen, right? He has a habit of leaving them really late, so he'll be probably listening to this in May. <laughs> oh, that's <quite> sweet. <laughs> anyway, my dad sent me a, a message on WhatsApp just saying, this was this really tickled me. Just listening to the last two... Actually, I hope he doesn't mind me reading this out. Too late now. <laughs> I'll find out I'm in May. <laughs> just listening to the last two podcasts, Underwater Torpedo League is great especially the mailbag. Thanks, Dad. Oh. I reckon Mikel Arteta should play Captain Scarlet in the remake. I swear that hairdo is painted on. Good show is very polished. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Taking shots, Arteta. There's a 65-year-old gentleman saying, I swear that hairdo. You've brought that, that's a stadio. You've brought that out in him. you brought it out in him. Dad's gone full stadio. So big stadio energy stadio. from Dad. Exactly. Thanks, Dad. Big stadio. He couldn't energy. figure out how to do an Apple review, so he had to WhatsApp me instead. Oh, that's adorable. But yeah, but the, that, the ultimate Apple review is the parent WhatsApp. Yeah, don't that's pick him you know. up, though. But no, but it's too late now. He's heard that. Got to leave that in. Thanks, Dad. Hope you're all right. Thanks, Dad. Can I borrow some money? <laughs> that needs to be you need to call it that <laughs> uh, let's move alright we got let's talk about Everton yep. so Everton were 2-0 up at home against Newcastle Moise Bruce, Kane scored Bruce Ball uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored I really like Dominic Calvert-Lewin you know I think he could potentially turn into a like a world beater number 9 all he was losing 
was the finishing. That was it. That uh-huh. was the only thing missing. Everything else has been there. Somebody, I can't remember who it was. There was a pundit who said, Calvert-Lewin, just such a great player in so many ways, but looks like somebody that's never really going on a scoring run. And now you see the way he's playing, even the, the ones that don't go in, he's hitting the corners. Mm. Like he's hitting the bottom, he's making the keeper, it's the old cliche, making the keeper work. But it reminded me of what Ian Wright was talking about when we interviewed him that time about hitting the post, like aim for the posts. Do you know what I mean? Do you remember yes. when he got into that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just seems to, I mean, the thing about Dominic Calvert-Lewin is I think he has all the tools. You know, if you're going in the NBA terms, oh, actually, we didn't even talk about Zion. You were dropping tweets on Jason McAteer like Zion was dropping threes last <laughs> yes, night, mate, in the fourth awesome. quarter. <laughs> <laughs> 17 straight points. Wow, yeah. Who? Any NBA fans listening? We've gone off on a tangent. We're going to lose people. Yeah, we are. We always we are. do this. Let's carry on. Let's go back yeah. in. Anyway, go back in. Yeah. Back in. Shout back to in. Zion. He back. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Moise Kane, two very bright spots for Everton. A minor spot would be Jordan Pickford being quite away behind the line. He had his mo- he has his moments though, Pickford, doesn't he? He's always a little bit like, come on, lads, we'll, let's just get one more round in before we go. It's like, Jordan, exactly. we've been out for four days. We've got a game in the morning. Do you know what? You're, you've actually completely nailed it. I went on a stadium to Budapest in 2006. Oh, I sat- if, Pickford, if Pickford was there, he, he would be peak. the hypest one. Okay, listen, thank you. He is basically, Jordan Pickford is peak stag dude Budapest he's that dude everyone's smashed and he's bought everyone tickets to a gun range do you know what I mean so he reminds me of this one guy in particular the stag dude we went on shout out Neil McCarthy out in Singapore if you listen to this podcast you don't but shout out to Neil McCarthy Neil McCarthy stag dude 2006 we go out and um, there's like 20 of us are incredible stag dude well I think it was I hope the residents do isn't that that an oxymoron yeah true but no it was a great we actually quite well behaved apart from so one guy left the um the party early and no one found him till the next afternoon. Was it the stag? No, it wasn't, thankfully. But he'd gone out by himself. He'd fallen asleep at a bus stop and woken up a few hours later and his pockets had been cut out and someone had stolen his wallet. And wow. that to me, yeah, like he basically- Surgical. Like, was so, yeah, he was so hammered that someone had found him drunk. And was Surgically like, robbed. And I just think that that kind of guy had Pickford energy about him. There's a chaos there, like a, a very gentle chaos, but a chaos all the same. He, he just walks back into the hotel and the first thing he says is, when are we going out? Yeah, exactly. He's like, mate, your pockets are gone. Yeah. Harder, man. He was straight back on it. He was straight back on it. Right. We've got a couple of questions about Everton. One from Daniel Tatarski. Oh, Daniel. How's it going? <laughs> the catfish email. Yeah, After Everton threw away a two goal lead in the last two minutes of 97, Carlo Ancelotti said, there are some things in football you can't control. If Marco Silva had said this, he'd have been laughed at. Yeah, but that's fine. Yeah, but Marco Silva hadn't won about 25 Champions Leagues. Exactly. Uh, He follows up with another one saying, is Pickford really the best English goalkeeper? Maybe. Goalkeeper is a problem for England, I think. Do you know, there are certain positions that people go through where, like there was one time when it was really hard to get a decent right back. Yeah. And you couldn't find one anywhere and left backs too. There are just times when we go through these historic shortages. And I think Pickford would benefit from having someone to push him. I think you really would. Look at Brazil, for example. You've got Alison Edison. You need someone to push you. And I think that it's a bit of a danger, that position. I think the lack of development from Jack Butland, I think, would have surprised many at England level. There's been a few of those lack of development, like, like Chris Kirkland, for example. There have been certain players that have come through really strong. You can go back to like Richard Wright, maybe. Players that come through and they just don't quite go over the top. mm I think it's also something, maybe it's a commentary on the difficulty of being a goalkeeper. Yeah. Like maybe we're still in a period of evolution. Like goalkeepers are expected to do so much. If you look at Edison and Allison, their distribution is so good. 
Yeah. Like it's not even pretty good average. Ter Stegen was the best ball playing goalkeeper a couple of years ago. And now Alisson's range puts him above that. It's almost like we're another generation between that being completely normalised for goalkeepers. Right. And you grew up in that era where all the goalkeepers changing so fast. We're not just the shot stopper anymore. Like De Gea is now not obsolete, but De De Gea was regarded as someone who was really good with his feet. And now he's just reasonable. He's reasonable. What's going to happen one day when the goalkeeper comes into midfield? Mm. You know what's going to happen? You know it's going to happen one day. You know that Pep in his last years is going to create like a sort of goalkeeper playing defence midfield and then Busquets will drop and sit in the six yard box because Pep has worked out actually the best passing range is when a DM plays from the edge of his... You know... Yeah, I, you can't, know wait, I can't wait for the false one. <laughs> you have to call them. This podcast should be called like three different things. The false one. Uh, we've got an, kind of a question related to Everton, I suppose, because it's from Sana Qureshi. Can I just say, before, before you start... Okay, so let me just recharge my brain because if it's if it's a typical Santa question, yeah, we're going to have to. It's going to require three brains, but let's go, let's go. A lot of words I didn't understand in this one. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Uh, Shouts to Santa Kareshi about her beloved toffees. How much do you reckon late substitutions change not just potentially the shape of a team, but the short-term mentality of how the game is managed? For example, if you take off attacking players for defensive ones, are you inviting metaphorical slash karmic pressure too? I'm not sure if this is actually maybe about Everton, but this is, could also relate to the Arsenal-Chelsea game. It relates to Manchester and Southampton in David Moyes' first season, I think, or only season. One all. United take an early lead. It comes back to one all. And there was this fear with 20 mm. minutes to go. Oh, they I brought, remember they this, yeah. they brought, And the fear, because you are inviting pressure, you're basically making a statement, we're closing the game out. And actually, there's a type of, there's a type of substitution which is an attacking one, which is actually defensive. Yeah. So when you bring on a player like Pedro, for example, um, I think actually this happened in the World Cup semi-final when Spain were 1-0 up. I think they bring on Pedro late in order to stretch the um, Germany defence. Yeah. They give them a new kind of problem because until that moment, Spain had played with match control. Xavi played out of his mind, completed, I think, more passes than the midfield three for Germany put together. Just blew them away. And they bring on Pedro and Pedro almost... Um, puts in Torres for a late goal, but goes alone. And that to me is the best kind of defensive substitution, one which actually stretches the play, an attacking substitution. So yeah, and the short answer to your question is, I think it does affect the karmic balance. And I think it's very negative to bring on a defender because it sends a message. And the best kind of defensive substitution is generally an attacking one. That's a very good answer, Musok Kwonga. <laughs> Not bad for someone who's really deluded. <laughs> uh, I find this an interesting one because I'm going to bring in two Arsenal example so after the Louise red card against Chelsea uh, Rob Holding looked set to come on it looked like Martinelli's number went up and that seems like a logical substitution to make in that scenario but they kept changing their mind and obviously it turned out to be brilliant because Granit Xhaka dropped into a centre-back role and was absolutely brilliant like really 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 good and I kind of semi-tongue-in-cheek tweeted about this, that Arsenal got well better once you just got rid of one of the centre-backs <laughs> <You know? laughs> they had their best period of the game I Maybe wonder, 10, 15 I minutes after Louise got sent off. I wonder start him there at one point. But I think Des Kelly put this to him after the game on BT Sport and he, he, it was almost like he could expect it coming because he was just like, no, 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 I don't want to play there. <laughs> you know, but I, I think his skill set isn't, it's not completely unsuited to no. centre-back. Um, but I think, it, yeah, in terms of mentality, I think it, 
it meant that Arsenal didn't concede. I think, yeah, in that scenario, it's, it's kind of like you're conceding the game. It was like, you know, well, there's actually three Arsenal examples. Champions League finals are prime when we take Perez off, but you have to because it's a goalkeeper, so it's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. The one that I was thinking of the most was, do you remember when Arsenal lost at home to Bayern in 2014 in the Champions League and Chesney got sent off and Santi Gazzola got taken off, I think, and Ozil stayed on. A lot of people were really unhappy with that substitution. But I remember after the game, Arsene Wenger saying the reason that we kept Ozil on was to try and essentially pull people away from our box. And actually in the stadium at the time, I can remember no matter where Ozil went, even if he was 60 yards away from the ball, there would be three Bayern players moving in that direction. So dangerous. Yeah, Arsenal lost 2-0. They were quite unlucky in the second leg as well. It wasn't wasn't like the two five ones that happened. There's a stat that we're never going to pick up in professional sport. Not not properly, not fully. And it's the stat about aura or fear factor. This is really interesting you said this because this is something that I was going to write about this week about the, the, the kind of the importance of nothing, if you know what I mean. Well, okay. Oh, love it. Okay, let's get quickly into this. The importance of nothing. Wow. Okay, so when you look at the NBA, um, those who watch a lot of basketball, the great players have a go through an entire career well, they'll shoot about 50% successfully of their shots. The best players will have an, an average of about 50% of their shots, right? Yeah. Now, what's interesting is for a Michael Jordan or LeBron James to shoot 50% of the shots, those are harder shots than anyone else because those shots are more contested. Sorry, we've got else's. breaking news. What's that? Stadio's just been followed by Alfie Holland. What? No, no. <laughs> Live breaking news on the podcast. Hey, oh my God. That's amazing. Hey, that's what happens when you big up his son. Oh, wow. Hi, Alfie. Hey, how's it Hope going? Hope you're listening. <laughs> We've got to get him in. Got to get him in. That was weird. I just literally was like, what's this notification? That's amazing. Got to leave it in the podcast. I will, I will. Wow, anyway, okay. Back to your so point. So back to the point. So if you look at someone like Alan Shearer, Thierry Henry in football, the shots they take are so much more contested than anyone else's. So for, for them to score a goal a game is much more remarkable than someone else to score the same because everyone's trying to compete to get to them. So there's something about the amount of attention that Henri draws, that Shearer draw. That is a huge intangible. Mm. When Alexis Sanchez was at Arsenal at his peak and had that kind of chaos factor, wherever he was, he was a danger. And you were always aware of him. Well, you started seeing it with Nicola Pepe, actually. Right. He's obviously still not hit the heights that many expected of him yet. And, I love and, him. But Big, I, I'm a Pepe but I, I mean, I know that he is quite patchy. However, the amount of attention that he draws from players, I mean, it happened against Chelsea. It happened against Manchester United. It happened in a lot of the big games that they've played recently where whenever he picks the ball up, there's three guys coming over. Because they know. And if you're going to talk about it in a basketball sense, spacing, spacing the floor, essentially. Thank you. This is exactly it, right. Yeah, maybe he isn't really absolutely firing yet and isn't delivering in a statistical sense in terms of goals, assists or what have you. But there are these intangibles. I'm kind of giving away a little bit the piece that I want to write, but there's, I think that like we're really, really pro metrics, aren't we? Yeah, in yeah. general, my issue with the metrics thing, and not, I don't have any issue with metrics actually. Really, what I'm saying is, I'm thinking Nicholas Pepe, and I think of Dejan Savicevic, which sounds like a massive reach, but we look at how decisive Savicevic was at the elite level, mm-hmm. not only at Red Star Belgrade, but then at AC Milan. Savicevic's stats were all over the place. So were Hajis, mm-hmm. and the idea of this consistency from wingers, week in week out, game breaking players. Someone like Messi has broken the system because Messi, as a wide player, is so consistently brilliant for so long. People have cre- it skews people's sense of reality. It's the FIFA factor, mm. right? But maybe Pepe is just completely normal for a young, brilliant, mercurial winger. But it's a similar thing with Adama Traore, which actually leads us onto a nice question we've got about him. Oh, great! But 
the the attention that Adama Traore draws in yes. from the rest of the the back four sometimes, or a deep midfielder, or a winger, it frees up space elsewhere on the pitch, and that space might not be fully exploited until eight to ten passes later. And by that point, their influence in that move is not is forgotten. Exactly, and it doesn't really show up in a lot of metrics until well, actually Iniesta was like that. Yeah, Iniesta Iniesta's stats are not that impressive in isolation. Never scores more than 10 goals in quite a few league seasons. Doesn't get that many assists. Mm-hmm. But Iniesta's stats for things like completed forward passes per minute are off the scale mm. because he's constantly breaking the game. And if we look at wingers differently, if we look at wingers saying, look, his job is not to complete excellent passes. His job is to destroy the defensive system yeah. or to weaken it to such an extent that it's so unstable that everyone just piles into the gap afterwards. If you look at it that way, mm-hmm then it becomes a more compelling proposition to say a player like Pepe is really an elite talent. Yeah. I, I, I swear by Pepe, I think he's yeah. great. This happens all the time with Ozil as well, is that people bring up stats, then people bring up stats to bash him. In Pep Confidential, there's two pages or something dedicated to Pep drilling Bayern in training about how they basically have to stop Ozil getting the ball. <laughs> I love that you know so I mean? much. And then that's when Uli Hernis came out a couple of years later and started shitting on Ozil. It was like, mate, your coach from two years ago basically built this whole game plan, stopping Ozil getting the ball. I want to say something quickly before we move on from this, because the data will always win out over time. Yes. And it will be, in terms of predicting patterns and stuff like that, you can't fuck with it. But I think you know, the, the intangibles within that are super interesting to me, because that's, I think, this what I was saying before. It's about how it's the difference between Arsenal getting a point at Stamford Bridge and they're not. Yes. You know? I think there's a stat for that called packing, isn't there? There's a stat about, I'm not sure exactly, but there's a stat called packing, which relates to the types of passes that- Oh, really? Split. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, so that's the thing. The thing I love about stats as well is they're constantly looking for ways. I mean, the best people like sort of Mike Goodman, you know, Grace on football as well. They're constantly looking for ways to measure yeah. intangibles. And that, that has a tremendous value. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyway. Love yeah. stats. Hate racism. Exactly. <laughs> Chat shit gets stats. <laughs> oh, me. deluded me. So what? Go on, Greg. All right. This one from Shane Thomas at TokenBG on Twitter. Shout Hi, out, Shane. Shane. Uh, is Tony Pulis's gentleman management of Adama Traore the biggest plot twist we'll see all year? And this is great. He sent us a screenshot of, I can, what, what I can only imagine is a, Pulis is it, interview. Is it the New York Times piece that's come out recently? I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure where it's from. But anyway, this would have been when they were at Middlesbrough. So Tony Pulis said he had been trying to please everybody. And then it goes on to say, as Pulis sees it, Triore had become something of a managerial pet project. Every coach wanted to prove he was the one who would be able to marshal his talent, show that they were the one he had been waiting for. And then Pulis says, he had forgotten what his real strengths were. We straightened that out. Rather than formal video sessions, Pulis would invite Traore into his office for a cup of tea and a chat about Lionel Messi. There was no tough love. If Traore had to be reprimanded or criticised, it was always in private. Pulis said, he's a lovely boy, but some players are a little more insecure than others. Pulis said, he would always question himself rather than whether the coach was giving him the right instructions. How lovely. Do you know what? That, I love that so much. Um, that is so, really nice. It's so lovely because Traore had this incredible burden. Everyone looked at him as the anointed one, unbelievable sort of wide forward, could beat players at will. And it says a lot, actually. It says, and this is, we talk so much about players and their attitude. Flashy players who won't, you know, we won't sort of say who's regarded as flashy and not. But players who have that kind of, that streak of genius who are able to break a game open. And we don't talk enough about how difficult that is and how the pressure is to succeed. And actually players like that, our team players are unselfish 
and need to be liberated. And needs aren't just to be told, you're good enough, go out and do it. There's a great um, comment on um, Zion Williamson's first game in the NBA for the New Orleans Pelicans and the coach Alvin Gentry. The instruction he gave was, just go out there and dunk on everything. <laughs> what he actually said was, go out and dunk on everything. Like Musok Wonga dunked on Jason Makatea. That's what he actually said. Am I allowed to keep that in? Can yeah. I keep that in? All right, thanks. Um, Shane, I, I love that question. Yeah, and it's really good. It's, it's a great question and, and really speaks to the gentle nature of, of managers and how we shouldn't always have this knuckle-dragging stereotype. It's so unhelpful, isn't it? Yeah, I just think it's a, a really great question and also just a chance for people to check themselves and say, look, this idea of like knocking a player about to get them into shape, it's not, it's yeah, not the way. Yeah, the one. One. All right, two quick questions before we go. Uh, first one is from Kevin Leahy. Better debut, Holland or Zion? I am going to say both the same. No, actually, do you know what? No, 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 I'm going to go back. I'm going to say Holland because Dortmund won the game and the Pelicans didn't. I think Zion. Do you know why? One, as much as I fair. love, love, love Holland's debut, I just think that the pressure on Zion Williamson. Actually, that's really that's true. the only difference. Yeah. So number Holland, one draft pick. I love, I love, I love Holland. Here's the thing: about the, not everyone was watching that game. People started watching it, but everyone was following. Yeah, and they changed the national TV schedule. hundred and sixty journalists got accreditation for the game. You know, so just in terms of the scrutiny. So yeah, but shout out to Holland too. Like amazing to watch. One thing before we go, because it's gonna, exciting. I know, we're, I know, we're going to end quite soon. But I want to just jump in through this. We've got on for quite a bit, but I want to throw this in. Can I just say, so I watched the highlights of the um, Madrid-Salamanca, Copa del Rey. Oh yeah. And I saw something beautiful. Gareth Bale scores the opening goal, mm-hmm. barely celebrates, you know, Madrid playing Salamanca, third division Spanish team. No one's that bothered. Alvaro Romero scores, I think he's 23 years old, scores a stunning strike, dispossesses one of the um, Madrid centre-backs on the halfway line, weaves past another and clips a beautiful strike. When Messi scored, I think Messi scored um, a hat-trick to qualify his country for the... Um, the World Cup. It was Venezuela, I think it was, I'm not sure. And the final goal was this beautiful curling, dipping strike into the top corner. And the guy scores a goal at that. Romero scores this goal and runs over to the crowd and equalises. And, you know, eventually Salamanca lose 3-1. But just contrasting the lack of euphoria in Bale for scoring the goal and the, and the joy on Romero's face when he scores this gorgeous strike. And you know that no matter what he does in his career from now on, He'll be the guy that equalised against Real I know. in the Copa del Rey with a goal of that yeah. quality. And I remember thinking, I've got to mention this in the podcast because it's so beautiful. Yep. It's so pure. And the look on his face and his teammates, they obviously adore playing with him. He's obviously the kind of like, there was a guy called Ariel Ibagatha who played at Mallorca for years and was basically like Mallorca's resident genius. Yeah. And would always score a big goal against really big clubs or do a big assist. And I remember thinking, you're there Ibagatha. You're a little genius. Would you want to, can, can I shout out another little genius? Please, please do. I would like to shout out 16-year-old Nachi Unavar made his debut for the Ajax first team on Wednesday night against Sparkenburg in oh, the I Dutch love, Cup. Oh my God, then I'm thinking of his proud family. Oh my God, my right. emotions. So Ajax won the game 7-0. In the 85th minute, Unavar got taken down for a penalty and instantly started like pointing to himself. Can I take it? Can I take it? Can I take it? And he took it and he scored in the penalty, oh, the seventh in a 7-0 win. My emotions. And went absolutely wild. My emotions. Uh, I oh also want to shout out my, my, uh, my so good much. friend, Bert, Bert, Bert um, from the Deckmantle crew in Amsterdam, who is a big Ajax fan and texted me about that after the game. So you know sh- hi, Bert. These stories, I'm, I'm glad that we end on these notes of beauty because for all the kind of grim stuff in football, that is what it's about. Yeah. That's what it's about. 
apologies if we didn't get around to reading your questions. We had so many and we didn't expect to labour as many as we did We could today. even maybe save some of them. Shout out quickly before we go. Uh, shout out to at Laser Sushi, Yasmina Banachuk. We are not ignoring your questions. <laughs> she didn't send any. I know, no, but she has before. Came we, for me on Twitter. She did. We love, well, who doesn't? We love- Hey, well, no one does. Jason That's what Mack made it so uncomfortable. Jason Mack yeah, did for me. Uh, Yasmina, we love and adore your questions. Thank you. Please keep sending. So next up. <laughs> All right. We had this one from James Plash. How did you meet and how did Stadio come about? So Musa and I met because we played for the same football team. Well, different teams but within the same club in, in Friedrichshain in Berlin. And you were on the Arsecast. That's right. And I tweeted at you saying, nice to hear a fellow rover on the, the Arsecast. That's right. You were aware of some work that I had done. Absolutely. Shall and, I talk about that? No, let's not. <laughs> and, and, you never talk about this. The can, shadow music career. <laughs> and So elusive. No one career. cares. No one cares. It's boring. Yeah, okay, anyway, and then we went for coffee and we were there for like four hours. Yep. We got really into it. Brexit, politics, <laughs> equality, football, yep. Yep. the full... Whack. And then we used to meet... Rolnick versus no. No, this was pre-Rolnick cardigan. True, true. This is the... This is the before the Cold, Before the Cold War. Exactly. <laughs> and we used to meet quite regularly and we would just talk football. And then you actually encouraged me to write my first ever piece, which was about uh, Mesut Ozil and Alexi Sanchez for Backpage Football years ago. Well, a couple right. of years ago, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow, good memory. And then we came together and did a podcast under another thing last year. And then yeah. we decided to do Stadio this year. Yeah. And that's how it... Goodness me. There we go. What time to be alive. What a time to be alive. So that's how we met. Anything to add to that? You were working as a waitress at a cocktail bar. God, I wish I, I was. No, sorry. Um, all right, this one to finish because this is nice. The questions have been so good. This one's from the River Nile, but with a Y. What were your first pair of football boots? I had classic black Adidas World Cup boots passed down to me from my brother. They must be like 15 years old now. How old are you, River Nile? What were your first pair of football boots, Musak Wonga? They were Adidas and they were like really hard. I didn't like them. Couldn't oh, really? get into them. But the favourites then, I evolved after that. Got myself a pair of beautiful uh, Deodoras. With the lime green stripe? Lime green stripes. And they were so the Roy comfortable. Keens. Yeah. Deodoras and Reeboks and most comfortable boots I've ever worn. But then the ultimate favourites were the Champagne Predators. They were absolutely You're such amazing. such a Champagne Predator Big champagne predator energy. Listen, those who know, know. <laughs> this will be no surprise to regular listeners. That's my energy, but champagne predators all I'm the way. I'm a short centre midfielder. I couldn't get away with champagne football boots. Okay, so my first pair of football boots were Puma Kings. Ooh. Me and my dad had matching pairs of Puma Kings. Oh, that's so sweet. Like the Royal Tenenbaums and matching tracksuits. <laughs> a couple of full kit wankers. Um, <laughs> From basically, yeah, for, for years, I think until I was about 12. And I actually had a pair of Deodoras as well. They're great boots. And I swapped them with a kid at school. I can't remember his name now. This for is a pair of Predators. Do you know what's really, he really wanted He hated the Predators. So I swapped them for a pair of Predators. And then I had Predators, black Predators though, black and red Predators. I just thought of a really sad story. because all. So my first year at uni, quite sad, but I'm proud of this still. We won the league in my first year. We had a brilliant team. And every single item of that kit that I had, that I wanted to keep beautiful, personalized training top, shirt, number nine shirt, won the league in, um, my colors, football socks from school and my Deodoras were all nicked or lost. I've lost every single item. Oh, mate. How sad. This is meant to be a happy question. Yeah. And you've just taken it. Don't worry. We'll end on a happy piece of music when it's quite downbeat. No, we'll end on a happy, we'll leave it. We're leaving now. (laughs) The good news is I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Thanks so much for everyone who, uh, questions. questions. 
Um, we'll we'll keep you up to date with my dad's reviews, my dad's WhatsApp reviews. Maybe that can be a new segment on the podcast. Yes, actually, maybe you should just start calling him up. We're gonna create a monster. Yeah, actually, no, you can't. You can't give him too Don't much time. <laughs> Anyone? What? What, Musa? What do you want? I'm just saying. Stop putting your hand up. They want to find us. You can find us on Instagram at Stadio Football. You, you can. can find us on Twitter at Stadio. You can follow Musa at Okwanga for daily thirst traps. <laughs> um, thanks to everyone who's sending questions again we'll be back on Monday we're playing out this week with Jennifer Lara Natural Mystic before we play out if you listen on Apple please rate us there because it really helps grow the podcast what is that the right accent <laughs> listen, listen, listen 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 it's great some to, role great, swap going great, on here great to have you with us great to have you with us see you soon listen listen <laughs> such a Oh, it's